Hey there, welcome to SAS Unbound, brought to you by SAS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Matej Zawodzinski, co-founder of Pivik Pro, an analytics suit with a focus on user privacy and data security, uh, used in over 1 million websites worldwide and growing sustainably since 2013, now making over 12 million in annual recurring revenue. Super exciting. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for today's discussion. Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, let's start maybe maybe with your background a little bit. How how did it all come together? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, my my background personally is technical, although I I don't think I I wrote a line of code for the last ten years. Uh, but I started that that uh, with my first company, which was an advertising uh, network in Poland for blogs and. Then subsequently, I found that several companies exited some of them. I come from Poland. I live in a beautiful city, Wrocław, and that's also where, where all companies were based and uh, where we are operating uh, from. Okay, thank you. So uh, tell me a little bit more. What is Pivik Pro? What was the inspiration behind it and uh, how you started it? Sure, sure. So uh, <clears throat> the, the story about Pewik Pro actually goes back to the times of my first real company, so this advertising network. So it was 2000, I think, six, seven when I founded mm -hmm. it. And I was looking to implement uh, uh, statistics uh, so that we know how to charge the advertisers for the, the advertising that we were selling on blogs. And we, we built a, a clever system uh, in-house, but uh, as for statistics, I thought like, let's uh, maybe use something that is ready on the market. And this was about the time where very early version of uh, Pewik open source, um, today Matomo, was released. And uh, I thought like, okay, that's uh, maybe it's not working as expected, but it's a good start. So I actually started fixing bugs, optimizing it, and we applied it in, in our advertising network. And that's also how I became one of the first contributors uh, to the project and be became shortly after the uh, core team member as well as consultant. And uh, <clears throat> my business career uh, went further. I, I sold this advertising network, then I founded a software development agency called ClearCode. But at the same time, I was still doing consulting gigs uh, for the open source project. And there wasn't really in the community anyone who, who had the resources to take on larger projects. And that's like ClearCode was taking them if, if needed or myself mm -hmm. personally. And we saw that there are more and more inquiries about mainly fixing the issues with open source Pewik. And I thought like, okay, we have to start doing as a company, as a brand. And that's uh, how Pewik Pro was founded in 2013. So six years later, after my first contributions to the project. And the, the idea was that this would be services company for the open source project. It will provide support plans, hosting, maybe some premium features, etc. And from there, like we saw some early traction that was really good. And it was mostly inbound because the project was already known, used by, by a lot of websites worldwide and larger companies wanted to 
host the data on their own servers or in Europe, and, and they came to us for, for help if they couldn't do it themselves. That was the first, I think, two, three years, and we saw the traction coming. Uh, but then we started to see issues. So mainly there were performance issues. There were The project was already had a very significant technical debt. It wasn't like developed in a framework and it had a lot of issues. And we started thinking of what's like a long-term strategy and structure. And that was about 2016, where we split it with the open source community because we decided to build a proprietary product from scratch while the other part wanted to continue with, with their own project. And we raised like external investment, very little capital. So only two, two million US dollars or euros, I think it was. And we kept, kept going. So we kept servicing the existing contracts while we developed the project. And also my, the, the development agency that I had at the time was helping out both capital wise, as well as resource side. So we moved some teams to like speed up the development, et cetera. After that, that's how current business started. It took much longer than we expected to get to the fully proprietary product and migrate all the clients, but we were very glad to do it because now we compete successfully with the largest enterprise level analytics platforms, such as Adobe Analytics or Google Analytics 360. Wonderful. Just yesterday, I had a podcast with Mike Perm from, from Sidekick, which also started as an open source project. And he told me the story, like how they were moving out of purely open source and how they monetized it. So um, I guess that the first customers came from the open source project and they knew they knew you they knew uh what what the project was about. But uh, how did you yeah, how did you basically monetize it and, and made sure that customers stayed with you when you decided to opt out and, and create this new company. What was the dif main differentiator? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so the main uh, the idea and the differentiator was that we'll fix all the issues. I mean, initially, at least part of the issues that they had with the open source project. And that was mainly like speed of reporting. So really the very early version, what we developed was just a reporting engine where you can create custom reports and you can create any report that is processed on the fly. And uh, we just moved the data. So you could still see the old interface, but you can switch to the new one where the, the same data is synced and you can start mm -hmm. reporting. And we saw very positive feedback about that. And then we built on top uh, while you could switch between applications. So we kept the source codes uh, really separate because of the licensing. We just moved the data. And at some point when customers had everything they need in the new platform, we just cut off the, the old product. So it was um, really seamless, but it, it meant a lot of work for us uh, that, to, to do it. And some customers, uh, for some customers, that was like after... A, year and a half, they were ready to move because they didn't miss. But for some customers, it was even three years because uh, there were some things that weren't high priority for us to develop and uh, they had to wait and they had to like keep two versions running side by side, uh, which also increased the cost. 
At the same time, we started also content marketing. And I, like, I think one of the big decisions was for us that we keep the name Pewik Pro to, to just like not confuse the market. And open source community, we branded to Matoma, which was actually good for us. That wasn't like our push or something. They could have used the name Pewik, but they wanted also to be, to be seen separate. So we, we kept the brand. We had a large content team and we, we started putting together a lot of materials. And mm -hmm. so yeah, it basically became our main channel inbound, which I guess we'll talk about as well. How to build different, different marketing channels and what was working for us and what, what wasn't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because something that I, I also read in one of the interviews with you is that your cost of acquiring a customer was something of $7,000, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was some kind of, it, it was a big number. So correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but how was it that big? Basically, <laughs> that's the question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what, yeah, what were the acquisition channels for you? Because yeah, like you said, it was inbound, it was content, but then you also leveraged partnerships a lot. So how did you get mm -hmm. there as well? Yeah, sure. So I think that the number could be accurate, mm -hmm. depending on the, the history that the cost of acquisition actually is very steady going down for the last, like, I don't know, two years or so. So it mm -hmm. might have been higher, but you, you have to also think, look at types of customers that we are selling to. So we are not sure. a platform that is for SMEs. It's a platform more for mid-market as well as the enterprises. So we have a lot of customers that are banks, insurance companies, telcos, governments, retailers, large retailers, healthcare organizations, etc. And our like average contract size, I think is somewhere around 25K euros per year. So we okay. can afford even much higher customer acquisition costs. The channels that work for us is first inbound because that was really first channel. So we focused on creating a lot of content on PR activities, on making sure that we are well positioned in the market, both like from the perspective of organic results as well as paid results. So we put together, for example, a lot of webinars, a lot of white papers that is gated content, some, some open content, etc. So that has worked for us very well. And uh, of course, we are looking for other channels and two big channels that were launched in the last three years that I think contributed to our really good, good growth in these years, uh, because despite the increased base, the growth rate has also increased, which is uh, mm -hmm. rather un un unseen. Um, so th these were the uh, partnerships and premium. So these two channels. So partnerships is the more or less like symbiotic relation with agencies that implement analytics. So usually they were already partners of uh, Adobe or Google, and they want to have European alternative. They, they want to have more to choose from for the clients, depending mm -hmm. on the needs. And since we got to the point, like it took like a lot of time, but we took, to, we got to the point where we are on par with GA360 we can be also a replacement for Adobe for most of the organizations. So we, we are like very advanced platform. So they wanted us 
And it's a business for them to sell PWIC Pro because they will sell a lot of implementation services. Plus, as a cherry on top, they can become a reseller, get a discount for their customer, or, or get a, a commission from that. Mm-hmm. So, so that is working very well, particularly in Europe. Uh, we have a lot of agencies, but we also try to not to acquire too many agencies. So we want to have a couple per market, uh, important players okay. for, per, per country, more or less. Um, and we we do with them also marketing activities. So we do common webinars, common events, and so on. And we think this works better than having, let's say, all top agencies in every country, because then nobody would be so engaged because everyone offers PWIC Pro. So yeah. why would they be, be be investing in this relationship? So I think this is very important for Partner Channel. We we had an early start with Partner Channel where we tried to, to try to uh, sign up as many agencies as possible, and then nothing happened. But then when okay. we changed the approach, that started to work. Um, and, and another big ask, channel is how premium. Did you, how did you choose your partners? Um, so the first really partners were the, the agencies of the clients that we already had. And that was easy pick okay. because they already knew the product. Sometimes clients cho- chose us and they brought agency and they had to learn. And for agencies that, that are also Google shops, it was very easy because we, we are quite similar to Google Analytics, to Universal Analytics, so the previous version. So they really liked it, liked the experience. And they said, okay, let's uh, maybe implement it in another client. So so that's that was the early picks. Then there was a second group that were agencies that were researching an analytics product for their customers. And we just received the RFP. When we won, then we said like, okay, let's maybe do a partnerships. Maybe there were more clients that we can work together. And the third really is that we look for agencies where we are missing, in countries where we are missing partners. Or sometimes mm-hmm. we even have a client in a country where we, for example, don't have the like local language representative, etc. And we look for an agency where we can partner and win together the client. And this is also a good strategy because they already see a quick win because they win the client with us. For us, we would probably wouldn't even win the client without them. So it's it's about that. It, it never works where it's like, you know, you just do outbound and let's do something together and then try to figure out. We, we rather come with the concrete proposal and uh, that, that are the best partners also long term. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really important to to build relationships with your partners. But yeah, let's come back to freemium because that's also something that worked really well for you. So how did you decide to go that route? And what were the learnings in this pricing change? Mm -hmm. So that was like a, a decision that we, we had a lot of internal discussions and there was a lot of like uncertainty in the company, like whether that would like help us or kill us. We were That's like usual. doing a lot of research on that. And I think like one of the final straws, we were already sure that we'll do it. But I think for me personally, one of the final conviction before making the decision was that I learned that Atlassian, some of the largest accounts in Atlassian come from freemium, the enterprise accounts, because our thinking was like, is freemium really good for the target market that we have? So the enterprises, uh, is it good yeah. only for SMBs? So once we decided, we, we of course had to tweak the freemium plan so that we don't potentially lose a lot of customers because some of the customers would qualify for the freemium plan. So we set certain mm -hmm. traffic limit in the early launch. And once the early launch was success, we even increased it. So I think the first limit was 100,000 actions per month. And then on the, the public launch, we increased it to 500K actions yeah. per month. So that's, that's significant. So for SMBs, like they really can use the product for, for free forever. The only, let's say, maybe decision for them to upgrade would be that they want longer data retention. So the free plan is, is limited to 14 months. But really we tweaked it so that we get in the sales panel, the right type of company. So we didn't want to like waste sales team discussions also for the customers that would be on of very little value. Of course that has changed over time. So we also added some smaller plans as well, but that, that was the, the first decision. And our focus in the premium was not to go, let's say mass market and sign up SMBs. It was just hand the enterprise organizations that wouldn't come to us to speak with the sales team. So from the normal sales process. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so, so we treated it entirely as a, a marketing channel. And we also started the com building community because we know that there will be a lot of free users, there are like thousands of them. And that worked very well because we are getting basically a free PR. So we see people recording yeah. tutorials, writing articles. We see that that benefit compared to the cost that we invest in hosting the freemium users is like, you know, through the roof. Like there, there is no such channel that, that has such a ratio to cost as freemium. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Cause yeah, a, a lot of people are very worried when, when there is a price change, you know, is it going to kill us? Is it going to give us anything good? So it's really important to, to learn like what, how other companies are doing it. But you mentioned that for enterprise customers, they, they still have to go. It's not entirely self-served. They have to go through your sales team. So how is that, how was that structured? So it, it's internal sales team. And that was the extension of existing process because before freemium, okay. this was just enterprise sites, request pricing, request demo, you enter qualification and then the whole sales process follow. So we wanted that to be not a complete revolution. So that sales team has still new leads coming into the enterprise sales pipeline while we launched this uh, freemium model and that turned out to work very well and usually the the process is that 
Somebody in these large organizations want to use it for certain product. They test the, evaluate the solution. They use it and they want to buy and they want enterprise contract anyway. So it wouldn't probably, we are not missing out many organizations on the, let's say 25K plus subscription level that would just mm -hmm. add a card and forget it, for, forget about it. We do have the option now, like after a year or two of premium, where you can, for smaller plans under 10K, you can do it completely online without speaking to sales team. But for larger contracts, we know from experience that there is some additional paperwork, some custom, maybe not even custom terms, but some discussion about deep data processing agreements, etc. They want also sometimes RFPs filled in. So these larger contracts go to the enterprise sales funnel and that, that works very well. What's also very interesting is despite we have Zainab free on the, the website, we also have a contact form and we still get a significant amount of uh, people that just want to go directly to the enterprise sales funnel and not through the freemium. So we were, we didn't cut this funnel that you have to go through freemium because there are still a lot of organizations that, that uh, do the purchasing differently. Perhaps it's that somebody already used freemium and they, another person contacts us. Sometimes that happens as well uh, for purchasing. But I think in the, the enterprise sales, you, you need to have the sales team and you cannot automate it fully because you, you will miss out a lot of large contracts. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, let's maybe talk a little bit about the agency because you had it anyway, right? So how was it bound to, to what you were doing with Pubic Pro? Mm -hmm. So the agency specialized in development of custom software. So it wasn't bound. So there was probably right. no, or maybe one common customer doing when they were like going side by side. <clears throat> but what agency helped with is first, it let us uh, self-fund for the first couple mm -hmm. of years uh, because we were basically using the profits from the agency to spend on Pewik Pro. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one benefit. The second benefit was that once we got some external funding and even before, we were able to move some of the best teams to Pewik Pro that we knew that they performed very well on the client projects and that we want them these particular people to build the product. And that there was both benefit for employees because they can focus on a single project, make it really like single product, make it really good rather than like having a client, different client every couple of months. And then it was also very good for us because we knew that these teams are like button tested and they will deliver the value. So that was two side benefits. And, uh, I think we run it like, it's also an interesting story for the funding because of the agency size, it was already like hundred people and we couldn't just raise funding, close the agency, move some people because it was like too, too profitable. And so we were looking for an investor and no VC wanted to invest in us because it was like a holding of two companies, agency and the products, but we found that eventually a more like a PE type of like family office investing in, in earlier stage companies. And I mean, that was very good choice for them because over the years we developed the agency, we transitioned it to the management team, spin it off and sold it. So, and that agency alone returned the capital. So everything that Pewik Pro is worth, which is much more than the agency 
is just a pure pure profit for the investors compared to the valuation when they were entering in 2017. That's wonderful. Great investment then. But let's talk about then the fact that you sold the agency and how it went for you. What was the reason for <clears> it? And yeah, the, just the whole process, because well, coming from a serial acquiring company, we know there are, you know, lots of horror stories and <clears> lots of different experiences with this process. So what was it for you? Yeah. So that was actually like the decision to sell was that I was in the management team with Piotr Korzeniowski, who is now CEO of Piwik Pro, by the way. And we were running two companies together as a two-person management team in the beginning. And we saw that mm -hmm. we don't put enough attention to both of them and that we, we, we could have done better than when we focus on a single company. And that was like the first reasoning. And we, we had the first attempt to exit in 2019. But we basically the conclusion was that the company is not ready. It has to be a separate management team. It has to be better prepared, uh, show better results, etc. So in 2020, we basically had a new management team coming on board. They were people who were mm -hmm. head of operations. So they were running the company. Some of them were from very early beginning. And they had a good predisposition to run the, the, the company further. They also had good ideas how to grow it and how to make uh, certain things better. And that was very good decision because the company actually, when we started focusing on Piwik Pro with Piot, <clears throat> the management team for ClearCode actually started doing better results. And we also started growing faster in Piwik Pro. So, so our thesis, I think was right that we were distracted by the agency business. Mm -hmm. And then after like uh, a year, they run the company, we started the discussion with some of the companies from our network, whether they would be interested in acquisition. And we very quickly received a no from one of uh, such companies. And then basically I started, I think from March, 2021, I started outbound for potential buyers. So I, I identified them. So the companies that would be interested to expanding in, in Poland, or they already had a few people in Poland, but not the full office and of the right mm -hmm. size. So they have the money to buy the agency. And yeah, I mean, the whole process lasted till end of 2021 and we had a closing on, I remember 2nd of January, 2022. So basically it took 12 months from the time we were ready to sell the company. And from the decision to sell, it was like three years. Okay. Interesting. So no horror stories there. Uh, there were, there were twists, there were twists. So of course, as in every process, I think every process I was part of had a, a lot of twists. So in that case, we had a term sheet, like we had two of, uh, offers that we, that we had more, but let's say two very interesting offers that we want to go. Mm -hmm. for. And we went with the higher bidder. It wasn't like a lot higher, but it was like maybe 10, 15% higher. And mm -hmm. we decided to go into due diligence in, I think, uh, around June, uh, June, July, and it went okay. They had a green light to go, go with the transaction, but they had to raise financing from the bank to finance the mm -hmm. transaction and they didn't get it. So that in September, I got to the point like, okay, there is no transaction happening. And 
it turned out that the other bidder went with other transaction than us, and it also fell apart. And uh, they were they had a ready team to go and process our transaction because the other deal fell apart for them, and that was actually a, like a lot of luck that both deals fell apart for ours and the other party. So we quickly signed the term sheet, and this time it it succeeded with like okay. that. It yeah, was really fast going, but and intensive, but it, it succeeded, but it, it was a bit of luck. And I think like in every transaction, you, you need a bit of luck. Yeah, definitely. Luck and, and good timing are, you know, sometimes <laughs> overrated, sometimes underrated. So they really are important. All right. Well, then how did the, you know, the, the entire process of stepping out of the CEO role go for you? And I guess you also later stepped out of the CEO role for Pivot Pro, right? So how did this processes go for you? Because a lot of founders say that, you know, when you're kind of going away from the whole like operational side of things, it messes with you a little bit, maybe like a bit of a personality crisis, like you're not doing enough anymore. How did it go for you? <laughs> how do you prepare for it? And yeah, can you share your experience? Yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely did not have that in the first process because I was running two companies and basically I passed running yeah. one of the company to people who basically already run it with me. So because they were head of operations to two people actually mm -hmm. had two head of operations. So they knew the company. They were like, I think one of them seven years in the company, one four or five years. So it was a relatively easy transition. And what was also uh, very good is that the CEO of the agency had really good approval among employees. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like something that they were like, oh, now everything will change. He is not competent or he's not yeah. likable. Uh, it was the opposite. I think he, he is more likable than me. So <laughs> it was it was smooth. But what, what was like probably a, a challenge is that they had to learn certain things and we had with whom I run the company as so he was COO. We had basically like two times a week discussions and so help them to consult certain like uh, topics. But we saw after six months, we saw that it's actually, we did provide some value in the first months, but after six months, the, it was more like them just telling us what's happening rather than, than us needing a, a help with something. So. And after nine months, we saw like, okay, why we haven't done it earlier? Like why we haven't done it earlier? We would be better off both in ClearCode and Pewik Pro. So it was something, I think it was also a fear of giving the, up the control for me because sure. I'm really hands-on, but I saw like how much benefits it brings for the company and for the business. Mm -hmm. And then, what, the, I'm not sure, you, you want to talk Pro. about the, the other one the, at Pewik Pro? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you're also, as far <laughs> as I understand, no longer a CEO. You stepped out of that role a few months ago. And yeah, how did that go? How did you move to the board? Yeah, so, so, so here we, like, it's much more complex business than an agency running a product company, much more demanding. And here we, we had a, let's say, two-step process. So one step was actually building a, a bigger management team. So we, like, 
when we did the transition at ClearCode, I was just CEO of Bwig Pro and Piotr was COO and now he's CEO. But we added three more people. So we added a chief revenue officer, we added the chief product officer and chief financial officer. And we ran five of us, the company for like, I think two years or so. Mm -hmm. And then the, the final step was a bit of reshuffling of the responsibilities. So, so Piotr who was running with me ClearCode and COO of, of Pewick Pro, he took over the CEO role because that was also natural. Like everybody in the company knew that he will be the CEO at some point because okay. of his engagement in the business, because of how he like uh, the quality of work, the, the engagement and so on. And, and uh, I also knew him very well because I brought him to ClearCode. He was by a friend of mine uh, a decade earlier. So, so it was like really like the, 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 next, the next logical step. So it's a different to back out of the management team when you have like five people and you've got to four people than having a two-person management and then getting out because that's probably impossible with the business size of, of Pewick Pro. So we are ready for this transition before we, uh, like, I think over a year ago, it was officially announced, I think around January this year, but like under the hood, the things were already passed to the guy, to the rest of the guys months earlier. And I was more like outside representative of the company to like speak on webinars, show, show up at events, etc., rather than really operationally involved. Okay, so it just it just needed like longer preparation, a bit of a <laughs> longer preparation. Also, also maybe one 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 topic that is interesting here is like none of these people were co-founders. I really had a one co-founder mm -hmm. that was operating. Like when the investor came, he backed out, so he was also bought out partly, and he left, was left with some of the the stake in the company, but he was no longer operationally. So all people were employees, so it was also very important to establish a large incentive stock option plan for the management team mm -hmm. so that they they can benefit from that. And I think like together, altogether, they own like 12 or more percent of the company. So it was significant, especially that we, we weren't small company to begin with, so they weren't like... Uh, entering the, the management team at like seed stage company, the company already had like four or five million of ARR. All right. Okay. And maybe, you know, maybe it's the logical next step to announce that you actually sold Pivik Pro. And congratulations. I guess that's a very big step. And, uh, that was kind of leading to it, right? Stepping out of the CEO role and moving it to the board. So yeah, can we talk about that? How did it happen? Why did it happen? As far as I understand, it's not really an acquisition, but more of a merger. So why did you go with that option? Yeah, sure. So, so maybe let, let me tell first, like what, what's happening. So yeah. Big Pro is, is merging with Cookie Formation, so a Danish concept management platform and privacy software. So very close in, in the ecosystem to, to what we are doing. And it's a, it's a, in the end, it's a merger. I'm exiting a, a significant portion, but also reinvesting in, in the uh, business along with employees, management team, etc. And this, this deal was also like the path to this deal was very bumpy and it's not that uh, we 
had a bumpy road with the current bio, let's say the, the party that we are doing the transaction with, but the parties that were before in this process. So we had an opportunistic uh, deal on the table in late 2021, early 2022. And <clears throat> it was uh, well-structured, good valuation, and we thought like, okay, let's not make a process, let's go for it because uh, such occasion may not last on the market longer. It was backed by one of the large European PEs, um, and we went through due diligence. We had already the investment agreement, so SPA draft, and the deal basically was blocked by the investment committee. And we didn't have the clear answer exactly why, but it was the mm -hmm. time where the, the financial markets start, started a downturn as well as the invasion on Ukraine started. And basically this PE funds stopped all the new investments in this region. So it was both ge geopolitical and financial uh, markets timing that basically threw this tra transaction off. Uh, but we thought, okay, anyway, that we have perfect traction. We like, we are really in a good position. We don't see, and let's say slow down in our business, which was great. So let's go for a process. We like, we needed a couple of months to regroup. And I think late in the summer, 2022, we started the process. We also had an advisor to, to get more, more offers on the table. And we finally got a nice offer from a private equity fund. Mm -hmm. And again, we went through the due diligence, no red flags. Let's go for the deal. We negotiated SPA and it was like, we were really didn't have any outstanding large items in the SPA. So it was like, okay, let's sign in two weeks. We need to polish some of the legal stuff. And there was like, yeah, guys, let's come to our investment committee so that everyone can uh, meet you. And we went there, we had a discussion, answered a couple of questions and then we expected, okay, let's go with the deal. And then I got like a couple hours later, a phone call that investment committee blocked the decision and the deal oh, is not wow. going through. And that was like a shock because we spent a lot of time and effort on that, like really a lot. And it was like, okay, so what do we do now? And this was like around May, 2022, 2022. Mm -hmm. and Piotr, who is the CEO of Piwik went to our went to a conference in Denmark and met with our former client who was our client at ClearCode. So we actually had helped them to develop their platform as ClearCode as a vendor. And fast forward today, they spoke, they had a lunch and they like, he said that our transaction fall apart, etc. And yeah. He came back like after a, a week or so that they would like actually do a merger backed by their like, they had some sort of like PE family office fund behind them, capital. So they are like also like, like uh, capital from the Lego family mm -hmm. and that they would be interested and backed by this buyer, they can finance the transaction. And we started talking and they basically like we had everything ready, VDR, et cetera. So they went instead of the P buyer and we had to structure the deal slightly differently, but it wasn't like such a difference. And we just completed this deal. 
with them. So it was like, again, like, I think there was a little bit luck, but I think that the more, more important is that we never like fought the about them as a potential buyer or party to the transaction. Like that wasn't on our list at all. And it should have been like, it, it should have been. We had a relation going back to 2017 with mm-hmm. them. And yeah, we like, I think that the, like my advice coming out of that is like, look uh, closely around you because you may have a deal with a party that you never thought that that could be a party to the transaction and maintaining good business relationships really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. That That's what we always talk about at SaaS Group, that it's important to just to establish a relationship. No one's, the deals that just happen instantly, they're just very rare, but otherwise, you know, just, just go back to whoever you want to buy your business, maintain this relationship, build up on what you already have, and then, you know, come back to that. I think that that's really important. I completely agree with you. But on the um, relationships side, uh, on the relationship side, what's what's really interesting is that the relation with the PE firm that didn't go with the transaction, we also had like four years. Um, and, uh, um, it, it, I think it's not the, the, like, you know, the fact that they, they didn't go through, it's a different topic, but the fact they wanted to do the transaction on the terms that we, we liked and they liked is also because of the relationship we had and not, and because they believed in us as a team, mm-hmm. as a company, they observed it over years because we, we spoke with them, like, I think many years earlier with a different topic. And they just kept looking at us until we grow to the size that would be interesting for them. Yeah. All right. But well, since you're, you know, <laughs> you're reinvesting what you're getting from the deal, how, what's next for you? How involved are you still going to stay with Pivot Pro or are you moving out? I guess you're more involved now with the early investment, you have a new company. So what's next for you? What's the next step? Sure, sure. So I'm staying as a supervisory board member as well as as an advisor to the management team. So basically a similar position I had over the last year or so, like office, let's say maybe not full year, but around that. And Mm -hmm. the other part of my, let's say time will be dedicated to investing. So I've been doing angel investments for quite a while. But now I started to do it uh, a bit more professionally after the clear code exit. And now after partial exit from PWIC Pro, I plan to take it to, to another level. We, I, I will be starting also a fund with some other VC managers, a pre-seed seed fund for CE founders. So we, we want to focus on a value proposition that it's actually a fund that understands the founders and can help operationally because of my background, because of the experience. And we want to be really like transparent and look for the great founders because we know that the team is everything, especially at this very early stages. So so we want to find very strong founders that have the, this drive for the business and creating technology and driving it to the market and want to help 
like them financially first, but we want also to have some operational help for them in getting from zero to one ARR and then from one to 10 and from 10 to further. So I, I went through this role. I, I work with some founders already from the angel investment that I did, but I think it's a great value added, especially in this region where most of the VCs are have financial background um, mm-hmm. and they never like went through the journey from growing the company from zero to 10 and from 10 to like, I did from pretty much from 10 to 14 or so. So where Pyrrhic Pro is, and this is the positioning that will launch. Probably this will launch like later next year, but I, I'm already doing investments as a more like an angel type of fund where I invest my, my own money. Awesome. I think that's a great strategy. So just a couple more questions because you've already sold two companies, three, no, two companies, Yeah, three, three. There was right? one on the yeah. way we didn't talk about it, but it was like technology sales. So, but yeah, uh, I officially can say that I had three exits. Yeah. Okay. Well then can you share a, a hack and, or maybe like three things to take into account when you're selling a company, how to make it successful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that the first and very most important thing is that you should think about your company as a long term. So run the business like you wouldn't like you would like to own it, make it profitable, make it growing, sustainable, because you you never know how many months or years would take to to actually sell it. And the other thing is. If you would like to own asset like that, probably the buyer as well. But if you don't believe in this business and you want to just sell it, then probably the same vibe will be after looking at at it closer by the potential buyer. So that will be the first, I think, most important thing. The second, we, we talked about like build relationship with people because they may help you when you exit. They may provide a valuable intro or they may actually even buy your business. So... I think business relationships is very important. And then the, the third, make sure when you are discussing with potential buyers that they can secure the money. Even like most of the deals have some kind of leverage with loans to increase, to, to have the leverage, but make sure they have some backup that they have capital to finance the transaction because it would be a, a shame that they back out at the last minute because they didn't get the financing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think those are brilliant. And well, the last one, I'm not going to ask about failures today because it's such a good occasion. And again, congratulations on selling the business. What so far has been the biggest win for you? Is it this or is it something else? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think I have a a both win and the failure at the same time that we did. So in the days after splitting with open source community and build start when we started building proprietary platform, the we started as a marketing suite in 2017 or 18, and this wasn't really a good call. We really like we struggled with the product. Product wasn't ready. There was simply too much to build to like be both bar, like be able to analyze the data, activate the data, etc. And we were good in generating leads because it was a, a nice positioning of the product, but we weren't ready for actually clients and servicing them. And I think the biggest win we did is that after experiencing that, we said, okay, 
we go to the roots, our focus is analytics, and we need to make the best analytics that is on the market and invest into that as a priority rather than trying to build a whole suite of, of product, products. So we, we focus mainly on the analytics with the tag management because it's very connected when you want to collect the events. And that really worked. Like that's brought us to where we are. So I think keeping the focus is absolutely most important. And even if you don't do a lot of things, like what you, what is your core proposition, you have to do it very, very well, if not the best on the market. Yeah. All right. I think that's great. Thank you for sharing it. It's been awesome talking with you. I think you've got so much more to tell. Um, and maybe we can do it again next year when you launch your fund and we can discuss the investments that you're making as well and, and how it's going with Pivic Pro and you and on the board, how it's developing. But yeah, thank you so much for, for telling this story again. Congratulations. I think you had a great deal. And yeah, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you very much. I would be glad to come back and report on what's happening. <laughs> so uh, sure. thanks again. It was great talking with you and for everyone. If, if you are interested, uh, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and contact. Awesome. Thank you and take care. That was yet another awesome conversation 